With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services. With in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. Well, this is going to be an amazing interview. Hi, everyone. I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. It's an internal audit and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like COSO 2013, SOX 404, quality assessment reviews, internal auditing, and related topics. Today's interview is with Dr. Daniel Selby. Dr. Selby is the founder and CEO of Daniel Selby PLLC. He has over 25 years of hands-on experience with Fortune 100 entities via corporate reporting, external auditing, internal auditing, regulatory compliance, and yes, even SSAE 16 services. He is a CPA and a CISA, which I call the double threat, right, those IT auditors. He's got a master's and PhD from Florida State University. He's currently affiliated Okay, with the University of Richmond's Robbins School of Business, okay, where he's taught accounting information systems, financial ma- management, accounting, auditing, and graduate IT auditing. His research okay, on accounting, auditing, and information systems has been published in ISACA uh, journals and other distinguished publications. Welcome, Daniel. Hi. Good, well, good morning, I guess I could say to you. No, it's, morning's perfect. We're we're all bright-eyed and, and bushy-tailed here. Um, I was really excited, uh, you know, to get you on the show because you have had a a just a wonderful trend in research and different publications that I wanted to make sure our listeners got some of the aha moments that you have noticed, and not only in in just corporate governance, but just in the auditing profession. So. Let's get into it. I wanted to first off ask you what, for for you, okay, what inspires you to investigate and perform practical research that can directly influence accounting and the audit practice? Well, thanks for that question, Sonia, and thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. Um, uh, my my research is inspired basically by my work experience with people like you. Uh, I attend a, a, a plethora of professional conferences and CP workshops all over the country, and that's actually how I met you. And uh, much more, I have much more enjoyable conversations and meaningful information at those types of conferences in comparison to the academic conferences that I also attend. Um, so what I basically do is I convert those conversations and experiences uh, into research questions. Uh, for example, early in my career, I worked in public accounting. But during a time when much more emphasis was placed on human behavior and very little energy was expended on it, understanding automated systems, 
Um, human behavior within the accounting information system is very worthy of auditors' attention. However, this black box approach uh, to conducting audits never set well with me. So I grew more and more curious about how systems work and the internal controls that existed within those systems. So I went into my Ph.D. program with the hope of making a difference in regards to this problem. I saw firsthand how financial statement auditors would test ITGCs because there was space remaining in the audit budget. Meanwhile, they understood little about how those ITGCs affected automated controls at the application level. Uh, so they would perform few management inquiries about the ITGCs, and that was it pretty much. So as long as the ITGCs checked out, the um, automated IT controls were deemed to be good, and auditors were would assume that everything else in the application level at the application level would be okay. Now I'm a firm believer that you should rely on application controls derived from that you should not rely on application controls derived from weak ITGCs. And I'm sure everybody who's listening would also agree with that. But let's also think about what we learned in school about substance over form. Uh, the ITGC would be sound, but at the same time, it could be misapplied at the application level, and that's where the rubber really hits the road. So in my dissertation, I examine how financial statement auditors assess risk and plan their audits in the manual business process domain and in the automated IT domain. But in the same vein, I also investigated how IT specialists reacted in those same environments. And what I found was that both auditor types were influenced by their evidence environment. And more specifically, they were all biased in that they were influenced by relevant information in those information environments. So let's just say that my results were interesting to major firms and may have added fuel to the fire simply because if both types of auditors have the same judgment biases, you might as well allow financial statement auditors to perform tests that relate to IT, audits will be more will be more profitable to the firms. Right, so, and, uh, and yeah. for those listeners who are really, we're, we're, we will definitely provide the hyperlink um, on the online version of this uh, show. But uh, I, I dug a little deeper as well on, on the website where it has your publications, and, and some of the publications are dealing with, for example, do um, external financial auditors sufficiently adjust their their audit plans for automated control deficiencies? So that's a very good question. In other words, you have an automated control that didn't work. Okay, it, it, it's mm -hmm. not functioning as intended. Um, and I like the, the fact that you put just control deficiency. It's, it's you didn't put material weakness, right? Um, right. Because most of the firms have this checklist approach where, okay, material weakness means I got to do extra effort, whether it's substantive uh, work on the actual account balance, et cetera, or transactions. Mm -hmm. um, but this was more of just like, look, this is just a deficiency in the automated control. What do, you, do they? How does this human? How does this affect human behavior when they when they get into an audit uh, environment? And then there's another publication you have out, which is, you know, can financial statement auditors identify risk patterns um, in IT control evidence when they when they actually have it? So it 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 does take. I I don't think out of school you get it right away. It takes exactly. a very good thought leader to kind of push you along to say, here's a negative trend in, let's say, those IT general controls over, I don't know, logical security, right? Um, exactly. People who get very laxed about that. It, it takes um, a experienced professional to kind of lay the, the road work, if you will, to, to the staff. That's been my professional experience. And mm -hmm. I wanted to get in deeper about, 
your your feelings about the practice, talking about the accounting practice. So, so what do you feel the accounting practice, in particular the internal audit, can, what can we do better? Well, um, I think that I really believe that practice has to encourage more research like mine and then learn from that research. But at the same time, I would honestly say that practice is making changes for the better. I mean, if you look at the new COSO 2013, the new 2014 Green Book rules, I mean, some may disagree, but practice is well ahead of, in my opinion, academic research because they are much more progressive with regards to technology and how technology impacts the financial statement and the internal controls. Um, The research process is a very long process, and uh, many academics feel that it takes 10 years for research results to go mainstream, and that's far too long because, I mean, none of us will be doing the same thing the same way 10 years from now. So uh, practice, keep doing what you're doing. I would honestly say that. Now, academia, on the other hand, I think we need to do some soul searching to address our changing landscape. Um, just like investors use multiple sources, information sources that uh, are more timely than financial statements, if you think about it, students now have options to learn accounting that does not require them to matriculate where they can avoid student loan debt and save money. And in the same breath, practitioners also take they have options to solve their problems where they seldom look to academia at all for any help with those problems. Um, this is not a contemporary problem. It's been that way for many decades. Right, and and I have also um, I, I do some recruiting or at least some outreach um, with uh, the Institute of Internal Auditors at different campuses, and mm-hmm. some folks have asked me, okay, well, how do I know I'm, I'm more of an external auditor versus, let's say, an internal auditor? Right. <laughs> I said, well, there, there's a you have to go with what you feel is going to make you happiest, which is, are you going to be in your, um, let's say your true self if you feel that you're going to work in a team, no matter what, internal or external, you're going to work Mm -hmm. in a team, and it's going to be a similar team. But external auditing, it's um, sometimes abrasive. You can't give your arm out and say, well, let me, not not only did I find the problem, but, oh, by the way, let me give you a template or let me give you a resource to go solve it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because external auditors more and more are becoming – uh, intimidated by other regulators such as the PCOB to actually offer any practical solutions, whereas internal audit does. In addition, right. internal audit, you get to do more, um, instead of saying audit, research on mm-hmm. value-add items. So you can take those skill sets and say, in the marketing and or the sales department, um, you know, we have to test revenue anyways, for certain controls mm-hmm. or for certain certain amounts, what's the value add proposition I can give in an operational audit that right. the the audit committee or the board might? Whereas an external audit, you're there for a function. It's a very uh, commodity based type of fee because mm-hmm. there's a lot of competition in internal auditing. I'm not saying there isn't any competition. I'm just saying it's a different approach to look at right. the business. And therefore, when I go to, to certain students, I say, so now you really got to be too real to yourself and say, what's your short and long-term goals? Because internal auditing is a great profession as well as external auditing. But mm-hmm. there's there's very clear and distinctive paths as to what you do ten, five years out, 10 years out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's very distinct differences. Um, and, and, and in terms of the internal audit profession, I always tell folks, well, you know, you can't just be a finance type person. You got to understand the IT because you will become so irrelevant in the audit 
team so quickly that you're going to be the person that gets the the low-hanging fruit, if you will, of, of, of the audit program, right? Because you, you are absolutely right. You're yeah, absolutely and, correct. And, and one and, thing I could add is um, uh, when students ask me those types of questions, I mean, because basically as an accounting professor, we're constantly pushing them towards major accounting firms. But I share with students my experience where uh, I've worked with big major accounting firms, but I've also worked with small national ones, and I've done internal audit. With internal audit, you get a little bit more protection as an employee. Uh, you get to learn some really good things, and you get to actually contribute to solving problems. So it depends on what it is that you're looking for, because with the bigger firms, you get that brand recognition, but you get to learn things in a different way. So I, and I think you, I'm just reiterating what you've already said. Yeah, no, I, I actually worked at a, a nice uh, regional firm out here in Los Angeles, had a wonderful experience. I actually got to do more faster. That was the other thing that I, I, I noticed that the big difference versus a bigger firm. You know, I got exposed to a lot more stuff faster um, in terms of whether it was accounting or auditing techniques, et cetera, because um, it was a very – like we got to get this thing done, and and we have a shorter budget, whereas a bigger firm may have a, a little bit more of a cushion, and you know there's at least five people on the engagement, whereas in a smaller firm it's okay now it's just you and the partner or you and the manager, and that's it. Absolutely um, right. And, and and therefore you're seeing the entire audit program from soup to nuts, so to speak. So it's a different approach, and um, you know I'm not so stuck on. The, the brand name anymore uh, be, just because of obviously my life experiences, et cetera, because, um, you know, there's, there, there are some bright and smart people that have come from a local firm and, and I've met those correct. folks and they've proven themselves because they're consistent and therefore, um, you know, there are, there are options. I, I, I loved my experiences at Anderson and Ernst and Young and I wouldn't tell anybody not to go there. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that, that the, um, this notion in the schools, the university saying, well, you got to go big four or go home. I mean, it's, it's really not, um, a true statement. It's, it's, it's this, um, you know, uh, it, I think it's more of a marketing or branding issue that the regional and local firms need to kind of put out there in the colleges about why, they are um they have some key advantages and mm-hmm. instead of saying what the disadvantage is i mean the kids are already you know they've already got their laundry list of disadvantages now it's their their time to promote the advantages out there but absolutely um, i wanted to cover um something um in in your most recent research project and and that was dealing with the utilization behavior and I wanted to find out, you know, what surprises or aha moments did you get out of this particular research? Excellent question. Uh, let me back up for a minute, though. Sure. Um, I've had recent discussions with financial auditors, and they indicate that they still use time and audit budget to perform steps that would best be completed by professionals with IT audit skills. So the problems from my all of my early research, you know, they still persist, persist today. So... IT audit specialists, and if you think about it, it's a, you know there's a practical reason for it. IT audit specialists they have higher billable, they have a higher billable rate, so it's more cost effective to use financial statement auditors to complete the steps that you could use IT specialists for, and it produces a more profitable audit. So, um, but you know if you remember that old adage, "How children shouldn't meddle in grown folks' business," uh, my current pro- project that you just brought up is actually speaking of that. So. If we, I mean, if utilization behavior, do you, you understand what I mean by that? 
Utilization behavior, meaning what I have to get X number of tasks done. And Mm -hmm. now I have this portfolio of people, human resource, and um, obviously tools behind those people. Now what am I going to use hour for hour for them to get the job done on these tasks? Okay. Okay. Well, let me back up. Um, First first of all, working memory is the mental mental component that directs an individual's attention during the completion of cognitive tasks. So that's a psychological definition. And the psychological definition of utilization behavior is the use of information that is extraneous, non-diagnostic, or relevant to a cognitive task. So in my in this current project that you that you mentioned, I find that working memory mitigates utilization behavior. And if we step back, utilization behavior is where you use information that you should not be using to complete a given task. Like for instance, if I were to ask you who won last night's basketball game, but then I also give you information about football, it doesn't help you address the question, and it actually directs you directs your attention away from the target, which is addressing the, the original question at hand. So I find that work and memory mitigate utilization behavior. And moreover, the aha moment is individuals working in their normal domain with five or more years of experience, some of these thought leaders that you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, but five or more years of experience in that domain do not exhibit utilization behavior. So the major takeaway mm-hmm. or the aha moment for professional service firms is for them to think about the information environments that their teams work in, and their main concern is to avoid audit failure. So plugging financial statement auditors to perform steps in the audit plan that are really designed for IT audit specialists could lead to that failure. But if those individuals, those financial statement auditors, have five or more years of experience, they're less likely to exhibit utilization behavior. And one other simple finding is the matter of the matter of cues or the volume of the information that they're exposed to also matters. So if you think about if you're working on an, an audit engagement for a large, large financial institution or a large retailer where they could have a million transactions per day, that's voluminous information, and that's where we could actually type some problem. Mm-hmm. No, I think you, thanks for the, the clarity because a lot of the utilization behavior that we're familiar with is mm-hmm. I've got this audit plan, I've got these people and tools to get it done, and then I need to plug and play to yep. get it done. Um, but but it makes sense in terms of the five plus years or more because I, as as a staff I I think most of us m- may have recalled if they were in, uh, especially public accounting mm-hmm. um, it was getting coffee making sure the supplies were there for the audit team um, you know you you might be working on cash prepaid assets fixed assets um, et cetera et cetera so you're kind of dealing with a, a certain segment of the audit. Um, obviously, if you're in a local firm, you're probably dealing with you know, um, lower risk accounts um, and probably seeing a, a bigger range of the mm-hmm. audit steps. However, they're not going to put you in, in you know, a, a, a bad situation where you're like it's their premier complex client. No, I don't think so. Um, but that happens your first two years. And then, uh, you know, you look at your third, fourth, and, and then finally your fifth year. Your fifth year, that's when you should be gaining a lot more managerial experience. And so I could see that delt or that change, that shift where, you know, five years or greater, um, that individual, if they're still, uh, and I'm making an assumption here that they've been doing auditing, you know, straight through for five years, 
you you would have seen um some successes but also seen failures not only with yourself but also the people that you're supervising. And so, um, you know, shifting, I guess, uh, um, let's say someone at a first-year manager to say, now I need you to kind of deal with some of these IT issues. But by nature, most auditors are, are risk-adverse people, right? We don't <laughs> have Absolutely. someone tell us that we fail. So if anything, who knows, maybe there could be some over-auditing because they really want to make sure that a failure that should have been caught um, has been dealt with appropriately. So That is correct. That is correct. And to also add, I, I conduct experimental research, so publishing a study like this one, you know, I have some challenges ahead of me because, you know, it's hard to publish work that points out something that the firms do wrong, sad to say. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's instead of embracing and saying, okay, what can we do better because change is going to have to happen anyways, um, you know, mm-hmm. there might be some negative reactions on that. But now, how has um, your career as an academic influenced your views about, you know, academia and the accounting practice? Oh, okay. Well, um, I've given you some insight already. But, I mean, as I've alluded to earlier, academia, I think, is, is has to do some soul searching. It's time for us to consider making some change. Um, and, and, and I say this because practitioners – they don't care or they don't know about our research results. Um, some academics seem to be okay with this. So, and so think about it this way. If I told you I was a cancer researcher, without even me having to go in, without even having to go in any detail, you would know what I do day in and day out. So we should take the same approach with accounting. I mean, uh, we have profession, professors in accounting with no practical experience in the field. And I, I, you know, personally, I see this as a huge problem. I mean, I leverage my work experience in the classroom when I teach, and I still consult. So, uh, and that's why I formed my, my PLLC, so that I could understand what's going on in the real world and also bring that information into the classroom so that my students are much better off and they're better prepared as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to kind of chime in here, we have uh, someone locally actually in Orange County He's a partner at a, a regional firm, and he's an audit partner, and he also teaches classes at night um, at a university. And his um, there's a feedback uh, the students get to do for all their different instructors, et cetera, at this university. And the point being is he gets one of the highest ratings because the students know that most of his comments and or experiences are very relevant. They're very fresh. They're very, you know, today um, versus someone, let's say, who's part of the, you know, the other prof- professionals there at the university that I'm sure they do a, a good job, but to tie that in, book versus reality and what happens in the field, it might be a challenge if, if that's all you're doing day in and day out. I mean, I could think of maybe um, professors being more proactive by having meetings or, or discussions with other um folks that are in the field and getting a wide variety of different uh, viewpoints and then kind of applying that with the chapter or whatever they're they're teaching, um, I could see that bridge there, you know, but it's like, well, I had lunch with so-and-so who's a managing partner of this firm, and I can tell you, you know, XYZ is happening, and this is how they're dealing with it, et cetera. That would be helpful for the students, but um, it takes more time for the professor to actually <laughs> Do yeah. that, and I don't know with all mm-hmm. the grading and 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 the push right now in terms of having an increased class size, you know, if they're really going to have time for that. So, um, it, that it's true. definitely a, a conundrum there. 
Um, in, in terms of um, some other things I wanted to get to, uh, what are some of the things that we should be looking out for in the future um, that relates to practice research, et cetera, f- from you? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a that's a full question, and it's actually quite alarming if you're following what's happening in higher education. Um, there are many experts who predict that in 20 years, only elite private colleges will remain. And if that is to be true, we got to, you know, stop for a minute and just think, you know, real long and hard about what will this world look like if the only individuals who are in a position to obtain a four-year degree, you know, uh, have the means to afford those, you know, because with the cost of education, with the, 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 at the rate that higher education is increasing, tuition charges, um, it's going to be hard for a lot of people to actually obtain those four-year degrees. So, um, you know, so that's actually really scary. Um, I would expect to see more information on that. I would expect to see more technology and accounting will continue to change with the technology. At least it's going to have to. I would anticipate that students uh, going forward are going to have to be more informed in technology and the foundation of ERP systems, uh, BYOD devices, how we're going to audit those. And, uh, Sonia, we've actually had some conversations about that uh, when we met back in August, and also cloud control. Um, funds are actually going to gravitate more towards that, and I would expect to see the research in that area move towards cloud controls and bring our device as well. Um, application controls for security and privacy over the cloud will force firms to not support the, I, support the IT audit specialists in their engagement and move away from just involving the IT audit people uh, during the planning stage. If they do that, if they're lucky, that occurs. Uh, I would expect to see then more more involvement of more IT specialists and actually uh, a more of a graying between what a financial statement auditor is and an IT audit specialist. And I believe you mentioned this maybe 15 minutes ago. Uh, the, the students are going to have to be very prepared to address the audit environments that they're going to work in going forward, and that's going to be heavily involved with IT and uh, ERP systems. Um, another major change I foresee is the increase in white papers by academics, and that might actually help move us away from, um, you know, the practitioners not reading the academic journals. Maybe if we write, you know, shorter, more informative documents, a little bit more succinct, maybe more practitioners will be able to see the value of what academic accounting research is doing. Uh, so that's what you're going to expect to see from me, Um Currently, publications by academics get very little attention, if any, from practitioners. If if researchers like myself are truly interested in solving contemporary problems, they're going to have to continue to practice and be aware of those problems. So that's going to drive the reason to practice, and they're going to have to change the way how they inform practice about their solutions. The approach that I'm taking is writing more white papers. Mm -hmm. So then that way the the, the solutions that I propose will actually be read by people in practice. Yeah, it's a shorter read, it's a faster read, and, and I would say it's, it, people, when you say I've got a white paper, they, they believe it's more uh, fresh versus exactly. I did this research part. Well, when was it? Oh, I did it in 2011. For whatever reason, they think that the principles of that paper or that research project is now outdated, and I think th- that's what I hear. Okay, I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's true because if you do a root cause analysis on a particular item and you published it in 2011, the principles of the things that may have been identified, unless something radically changed, mm-hmm. they're still going to be relevant 
for several years out, but um, the, the the masses, when you tell someone, oh, this was in da da da, oh, it was published in 2011, they make a, a certain assertions that it is. Um, all of a sudden outdated and it's almost like you have to right. re-educate people. And then in terms of the, the, the promotion, I mean, my gut feel, sense is, um, you know, ISACA and IIA uh, could really take the lead that whenever they have these major sellout conferences, they should have at least a, if not a track, which might be, you know, a little um, too much, but at least one or two key sessions on their own research that they have, because they have a research foundation, so why aren't they sending out a, whether it's the general session to point that out, um, you know, share the stage, if you will, with the person that led the project uh, with, with Richard Chambers or someone else. I, I think there's some opportunities there um, that, that uh, both organizations can explore because there are some practitioners. When you have, you know, 300 plus people sitting down in the general session, someone else is going to get it. You know, and That's and right. and it's the exposure part or the selling part of it um, that needs to happen. I think at some of these conferences, really, that's what what um, I've been feeling. Um, and I and I think being attending the the sellout uh, joint conference uh, that ISACA and the IIA, which which I do not think is going away. Um, you know that that's also a golden opportunity to kind of highlight some of these, let's say, the top ten research projects that you know deal with our profession. And and I've uh, I'm at actually at the board level um, uh, for the local Los Angeles chapter of the IAA. And when I came back speaking at that conference, I told the board members and I said, if you think for one second that this is going to be th- these joint venture conferences between the two, meaning these. IIA, even though they're supposed to have IT audit backgrounds, and then ISACA, and I said, it's not going away. I mean, it, it's the marketplace has made a, a, a distinction that the IIA wasn't good enough to prepare and give them the output of good IT auditors, and now they go to ISACA for that. Okay, so that is correct. It, it, it's a missed boat that the IIA could have captured, but that's neither here nor there. And now they're partnering up, and so we locally. So what I told the board is, what are we doing? We got to have a joint venture conference because because this is what happens internationally and for North America it will trickle down so we can either wait or we can be one of the thought leaders and kind of do that. And we've actually had discussions right now with the local chapter ISACA because we think the marketplace does demand a forum where both get together and and um, instead of spending separate dollars in separate different conferences, they can have a whole team go to a joint one where there's different tracks, but they're coming back to collaborate after that joint conference and I think that's going to be the wave of the future for for some of these um uh you know future uh conferences and and technical um get-togethers here especially especially locally I think that's going to happen I definitely agree So so it looks like I'm going to be seeing you more um at conferences right Daniel Get used to it Amy <laughs> and get also get used to hearing about Daniel Selby PLLC there you go. There you go. Right. I'm really happy about that, and I'm very uh, grateful that you you decided to join our show, and and uh, I'm very proud that you kind of uh, took that leap forward. Um, I'm really really excited. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been an eye opening interview. I I know a lot of you got a lot of value, and Daniel, um, I I'm very confident our li- listeners got um, a lot of 
good feedback uh, from your research, uh, meaning they, there. I know some of the things that I talked about, some of those publications. It's 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 creating that little ripple effect. Okay. Um, as a reminder to our listeners, you can find more about Dr. Selby's work in the University of Richmond Scholarship Repository. We are definitely going to make that, those links available to you on our Compliance Expert Radio show, show. Daniel, thank you for being on our show today. And Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Well, this is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.